Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I have a great special guest here with me, Bradley. Bradley has something he wants to say to everybody out there in TV land. Bradley, look at that camera and say it. Jesus is great! Woo! Job, Bradley. You remember that, all right? Go sit with your dad. All right, if you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv. They can watch it live from anywhere in the world. We want to greet all of you to this new year of Heart of the Matter. We thank you for watching. Hello to all of you out there in TV land. Hello to you YouTubers. God bless you, live streaming people. And thanks for tuning into the archives. We are really excited to get into the topics of this year. I was a born-again Mormon. We made the manuscript available online to download for free PDF form. Go to www.hotm.tv and you can uh, get that manuscript at any time. How about starting the year off right, taking an hour to study the Bible verse by verse. Join us at campus every Sunday, either at Utah State in Logan or at U of U in Salt Lake City. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions. Before we have a prayer, I'm sorry, I'm swallowing a lot because I have these canker sores in my mouth and the saliva is overwhelming me right now. Uh, before we go to a prayer, let's. Uh, I, we're going to be talking about the idea that Latter-day Saints claim that they're Christian that they believe in the Bible and that um, they teach the things that are in the Bible and they believe those things. Well, my daughter was going through the hymn book uh, here the other this morning or today and we, she came across the hymn. And I think before we go to a prayer, I want to read this hymn to you. It's called, If You Could Hie to Kolob. If you could hie to Kolob in the twinkling of an eye, and then continue onward with that same speed to fly, do you think that you could ever, through all eternity, find out the generation where gods began to be? Or see the grand beginning where space did not extend, or view the last creation where gods and matter end? 
Methinks the spirit whispers, no man has found pure space, nor seen the outer curtains where nothing has a place. The works of God continue, and worlds and lives abound. Improvement and progression have one eternal round. There is no end to matter. There is no end to space. There is no end to spirit. There is no end to race. That's in the modern hymn book of the LDS Church. They sing that, If You Could Hide a Kolob. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we just want to hide to your cross, and we want you to save us from uh, ourselves. And we pray uh, for the program. We pray for our volunteers, for our audience members here uh, live and wherever they may be. We pray that the message and the comparative between uh, biblical Christianity and Mormonism will become clear to anyone who happens to come across these programs. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we uh, are going to begin a year-long look in alphabetical order of LDS topics, what the Mormons teach in their doctrine, and what the Bible says about those doctrines. Our first topic of the year, remember it's alphabetical order, Adam and Eve. Interestingly enough, the Bible does not say very much about Adam and Eve. There may be 30 verses that speak uh, of them directly, and then maybe another 20 verses that refer to them uh, indirectly. What do we as Bible-believing Christians say about Adam and Eve? We say what the Word says. We believe what the Word says about them. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This spirit that God breathed into Adam kick-started all human life, which descended them from our first parents into and through the rest of us. Then God took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden called Eden, the location which is somewhere near uh, the Middle East of Iraq. We aren't truly sure, but it's somewhere in that area based on the rivers. Genesis 2.16 says, and the Jehovah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Then, in verse 18, Jehovah Elohim said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And at this point, God brought the animals he had created to Adam, and Adam, with a full mental capacity, uh, named them all. After he had done that, Genesis 2.21 says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, 
because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. That's the biblical account, friends, of the origin of Adam and Eve. It's a simple and beautiful account. It's God's way. There was no suffering. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no evil. In it, we understand that there, there were in a beautiful garden, that they could exist with God in their presence, and they could procreate, and they could live forever in this state, which today we might even describe as a heavenly state. It might be what heaven we hope to get to someday would have been like or will be like. This was God's offering to humanity. He created in his image and he sought companionship with Adam and Eve. But being a good and holy God that he is and not a despot, God was not going to force Adam and Eve, his creations, to love and honor him and have an intimate relationship with him. If they wanted, they could disobey him. And so God gave them the opportunity to choose their own way, to follow their own ideas, and to turn from his. So he placed this tree in the garden, and he gave Adam and Eve an opportunity to reject him and his presence. And he told Adam, you can eat from any tree, but thou shalt not eat of one called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was a direct command from God to Adam. Now, the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3 tell us what our first parents did with this choice that God gave them. They followed Satan and his temptation to disobey God. Beginning at verse 1 of Genesis 3, it says, Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Jehovah Elohim had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when, and when, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and was pleasant to her eyes, and it was a tree to desire to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. They were ashamed. I added that. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron or aprons. Or in my estimation, they created the first man-made religion to hide behind. These passages frankly and simply show Eve made the decision to take matters into her own hands, to discount all that God had said and done for them, to listen to Satan and trust his promises, and to, in the end, believe that she knew better than God himself, that she and Adam could benefit from the food of the tree because it was easy on their eyes and it could make them wise 
to the ways of the world. And so she took it and ate it, and she got Adam to eat it too. The tension and choice was between God's will and ways and plans and the blessings that come from that and Satan's will and ways and plans and the blessings and cursings that come with that. You got it? And Adam and Eve chose the latter and disobeyed God. Were they rewarded? In a sense, they were. They received the things of this world, the fruit of the forbidden tree. They were able to eat it. They were able to taste that forbidden fruit. But these things brought with it a terrible, horrible, dreadful result. We call it the fall from paradise, from grace. And the paradise that God gave Adam and Eve for all of us to then be in was lost. Now, was God pleased with Adam and Eve's choice to disregard his commands? Genesis 3, beginning at verse 8, says, And they, Adam and Eve, they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from his presence of Jehovah Elohim amongst the trees of the garden. And Jehovah Elohim called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, shamed, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree where I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man, passing the buck, said, the woman whom thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is it that thou hast done? And the woman, passing the buck, said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And then what did God do because of the actions of Adam and Eve? He cursed them, and he cast them out of his presence, out of the garden, and into an existence of pain and suffering and sorrow. One of the very first things that Adam and Eve realized because of their choices in the garden was a murder in their family of their oldest son killing the second one. That's the first fruit of their actions in the garden. And the title deed was handed over to Satan, and who entices all of the offspring of Adam and Eve who come into this world with the very same things that Eve was enticed with, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, as the Apostle John said, only to reward them later with horrible pain, suffering, and death when they choose God's, uh, choose Satan's ways over God's. Listen, listen closely. This is very important. Every time a child is raped, a woman is beaten, somebody is murdered, every time somebody dies from a disease, a loved one is lost, an accident occurs, Every time these things happen, it's a direct result of the actions of Adam and Eve, their choice. It's because they introduced sin and death into a paradise that God had intended for all of man. One of the earliest thoughts I had when I was investigating leaving Mormonism was I could not comprehend believing in a God who would want his creations to experience such horrors. But this is the very thing Mormonism teaches relative to the fall of Adam and Eve. 
Now, let me pause here and say something that's important. I love and respect uh, the LDS people. Uh, I attack their beliefs. I am not attacking them. I am deeply committed to the unequivocal Christian demand to love all people, all people. And I want to and strive to and pray to God to help me. And I generally am successful, generally. However, in this pluralistic and relativistic age, where it's not popular to criticize people and their faith, Mormonism claims to be Christian. And not only to be Christian, but be, to, to be the only true Christian faith on earth. And with this claim, they are worthy of all scrutiny and criticism, especially when they teach things that the Bible does not teach. In the story of Adam and Eve, Mormonism blatantly reveals a horribly twisted perspective. I'm not going to talk about Brigham Young and his teachings that Adam was God in the flesh and that Eve was one of his many wives. If you want to find out about that, go to www.utlm.org and you can read all the information that that was once taught. But what do the LDS teach about our first parents and their role in what we commonly call the fall? I'm going to break their twistianity down into seven or eight categories, all which defy the Bible and which are not true. First, Latter-day Saints teach that before coming to earth, Adam was actually Michael the Archangel. I don't need to prove this teaching by quotes because it's foundational to the religion. Every time someone enters an LDS temple, their film shows that Michael the Archangel in a pre-existent state became Adam, Father Adam of this earth. Paul makes it clear that Adam's origins were not that in 1 Corinthians 15, 47. He says, the first man, Adam, is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. He delineates between the two right there. Secondly, in Mormonism, Adam, as Michael the archangel, played a significant role in helping create the world. It's also significant uh, uh, of a departure in that Michael the archangel became a man because biblically speaking we know that they are um, of a different order. Angels and men are of a different order but this is for another day. Thirdly, Latter-day Saints teach that the title Ancient of Days which Daniel applies in chapter 7 of his book is talking about Adam. Uh, this is in a direct revelation that Joseph Smith claimed to have had in 1838. And it's located in Doctrine and Covenants 116, verse 1. It's supported by Smith, who said, Daniel, in his seventh chapter, speaks of the Ancient of Days. He means the oldest man, our father Adam, Michael. This is one of the most laughable and lamentable mistakes that Joseph Smith has made because the Bible is clear that this revelation refers to deity and that this name is referring to deity specifically first to the Father, Father God, and then to the Son, not Adam. The book of Revelation uses the very same language that Daniel uses to describe a Jesus. The book of Revelation uses the very same language to describe him there. So it's laughable that they call that Adam. Fourth, LDS doctrine teaches that Adam and Eve were presented by God with two opposing commands. Now this is God, in my opinion, this is God the Joker. This is God the game player, the Riddler, not the Joker. You know, which one are you going to pick? 
to multiply and replenish the earth and to not eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The idea being that Adam and Eve were incapable of multiplying and replenishing the earth because they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil of how to multiply. All of this is built on man-made presupposition. It supposes that Adam and Eve could not have learned to multiply and replenish by watching all the animals in the animal kingdom around there, or that they didn't have the right to ask God who is in their presence on, Lord, what do you mean by multiply and replenish the earth? What exactly? That's a command of yours. How is that supposed to happen? They had the, every right to ask that. But this is just presupposing that that was impossible. Um, oh, that's my cell phone. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm doing a show and someone calls me right in the middle of it. Someone who knows I'm doing it too. This brings us to the fifth difference between Mormonism and biblical Christianity relative to our first parents. In the LDS film, Eve is the one who actually understands that she needs to break a commandment in order to fulfill the other commandment. She decides that she needs to break the commandment not to eat the fruit in order to learn and get the knowledge to then how to procreate to fulfill the other commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. Absolutely amazing. Christianity teaches that God's creations called humanity started when God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and when he became a living soul. Mormonism teaches a wholly different but a very Greek idea um, which all humans existed as spirit beings in a premortal existence. And Adam and Eve came to this world. They had to procreate and by procreating they would bring the spirits down to this world. Because they lived in a state where they didn't know how to procreate in the Garden of Eden, the idea was nobody could ever come down from the spirit world, so they, in order to fulfill God's plan, they had to break a commandment, take of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, understand what needed to be done in order for the spirit children to then start to come down to earth. This doctrine is all through their scripture. In the Book of Mormon, it says, Adam fell that men might be. See? So it's, it was a good thing to the Latter-day Saints. Joseph Fielding Smith, an LDS prophet, he said, let us thank the Lord when we pray for Adam. If it had not been for Adam, I would not be here. You would not be here. We would be waiting in the heavens as spirits, pleading for somebody to pass through a certain condition that brought upon us mortality. The LDS Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith had the audacity to have Eve say, quote, Were it not for our transgression, we should never have had seed, and never should have known good and evil, and the joy of our redemption, and the eternal life which God gives unto the, all the obedient, end quote. There is so much convoluted thinking in that little passage right there, it's hard to know where to start. First of all, Joseph has Eve say in the Pearl of Great Price, if it wasn't for our transgressions, we never would have known joy of our redemption. In other words, she's saying, I am so glad I sinned so I could experience Jesus saving me from sin. That's the same thing as what she's saying there. Forget about the price that Jesus paid for sin. Forget, bit about, forget about the pain that he endured to pay for sin or the crime against God when we sin. Instead, Joseph Smith has, G, uh, has Eve rejoicing over the fact that she sinned so that she could then now relish in the solution to it. 
understand the environment Adam and Eve lived in the garden was akin to the condition that we look forward to in, uh, in once this life is through with God. They lived in a heaven, so to speak, with God present and them in paradise. But here in the LDS uh, Pearl of Great Price, Eve is saying that, they, that this great heaven that they left in order that they're glad they sinned because they left this great heaven in order only to get back to it. Makes no sense. And then Eve says here in the Prologrite Price uh, that unless they had transgressed, they would not know the joy of eternal life, which God gives to all the obedient. It's absolutely irrational. Joseph Smith has Eve saying that it is only because they were disobedient that they can now understand the joy of, of eternal life that comes to only to the obedient. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. We're talking about Christianity through and through. And then it gets us to the last one, and that is the word transgression. Uh, the Mormons teach that Adam and Eve did not sin, but that they transgressed. LDS Prophet Joseph Fielding Smith said, this was a transgression of the law, but not a sin in the strict sense, for it was something that Adam and Eve had to do. In the Discourses of Marion G. Romney, the LDS Apostle wrote, I do not look upon Adam's action as sin. I think it was a deliberate act of free agency. He chose to do that which had to be done to further the purposes of God, meaning they had to eat the fruit, so that the spirits in heaven could come down and start life. Herein lies the point-blank contradiction against the Bible, my friends. What do we know from God's account of Adam and Eve's actions? God told them that they could, that they could eat any of the fruit that they wanted except one. And in that one, he commanded them, do not eat of it. If the LDS commend the eating of it, they then commend Adam and Eve for following Satan. And the rewards, listen closely, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is serious stuff, my friends, the end result. And the Bible tells us that God did what when Adam and Eve transgressed? Did he commend them or did he condemn them? And what is the uh, fruit of the partaking of that forbidden fruit? Is it goodness, kindness, love? Or is it evil, darkness, suffering, and pain? And how does an actual apostle of Jesus Christ, John the Beloved, describe sin? Listen to his definition of it. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. The words are used interchangeably throughout scripture. Transgression and sin are synonymous. What else does the Bible say about Adam and Eve? Do we have anyone anywhere within the context of the scripture commending them for their choice? Does Isaiah or Peter or Paul say, we thank God for Adam and Eve's choice? Not at all. Listen to what Job says. He says, speaking of himself, if I covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom. So Job himself in his writings, which are really ancient, he likens Adam's uh, transgressions to iniquity that he hid in his heart. This was not a good thing. Listen to the words Paul uses in the letter to Romans. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 
For if through offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. Paul makes the clarification. He says, hey, sin and death came because of our first parents. But be, and that's one because of one man, Adam. But life comes by one man, Jesus Christ. Then in verse 18, he says, therefore, as by the offense of one, meaning Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Okay, this is Paul. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one Jesus shall many be made righteous. Finally, my friends, before we open the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. I want you to consider what I believe to be one of the greatest cracks in the LDS idea of Adam and Eve, the fall, and their notion that they did a good thing by listening to Satan's temptations and disobeying God. You ready? If Adam and Eve were supposed to eat the fruit in order to open the door for spirit children to come down to earth, why would Satan want to get them to do it? Satan hates God, and if the LDS plan of salvation was true, why would Satan, who does not want God to be successful, why would he tempt Adam and Eve to disobey God so that their eyes would be open, they would know how to procreate, and then by that way it would fulfill God's plan to bring all these spirit children down? If I were Satan, or if Satan were Satan with the LDS plan, he would do everything possible to keep Adam and Eve away from that tree. He would not want them ever to eat of that fruit because if they did, if they never ate of that fruit, then all the spirit children from the myth of Mormonism would remain in heaven and God's plan would be thwarted. But no, instead Satan, he tempts Adam and Eve to do the very thing that he knows is going to open up God's plan of salvation in the Mormon myth. Unbelievable. Well, let's open up the phones. Before we do that, uh, we need to show a spot for our partners program. We appreciate anything and everything that all of you have done to keep us alive. We thank each of you for your time, your prayers, your generosity. Take a look. When we come back, we'll begin to take your phone calls. Many things live in our city. But this Christmas, hope lives here. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Aletheia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there 
ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. All right, we're back. Listen, I'm really sorry. I, I cannot articulate normally right now, so uh, just have to bear with me. Um, we're going to go to David. He's LDS and uh, from Salt Lake City. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Hi, David. Um, I was just wondering, you were talking about how uh, Eve was glad that she sinned. and like You know what I'm talking about? You remember how you said that? Glad that she sinned? Glad that she sinned and broke God's law, and now that she has the knowledge that she can procreate, and she's glad to yeah, like that's be out here in sin, while she, instead of in heaven, she's you know yeah. What I'm saying? That's from the pearl of great price. Yes. Yeah. So I was just wondering, like, how could um, Eve really enjoy and have a full understanding of being in the garden? It says in the Bible that they were like children, right? And uh, how could you enjoy? How could you know sweet without bitter? You know what I'm saying? Tasting bitter. Yeah. Or how could you know um, happiness without pain? Yeah, that's a Book of Mormon teaching, and that's how the, uh, Joseph described the reason for the fall, is that they wouldn't have known joy with, without pain. Uh, and so it was a good thing that they fell into pain through disobedience. But David, uh, nowhere, the Bible doesn't say they were like children. That's an LDS teaching. That's a construct that they say, that they were like little babies who didn't understand anything. Remember that God gave, brought all the animals that he created and he had Adam name them. This guy was not some, some just, ah. he, didn't, he didn't call an elephant a blah, blah, or and that a goo-goo. I mean, he had articulate words for these animals. He had intelligence and yeah, he was made in God's image and he communicated yeah. with God. So Adam and Eve were not these blithering idiots. They, they, they lived in a state that would be akin to what you and I are hoping we will return to when, or go to when we die with God in heaven. Beautiful, paradisical, heavenly, without pain. We talk about all these same adjectives describing heaven. That is what the Garden of Eden was like. So what do you think would, happen, what would have happened if Eve didn't eat the fruit and Adam didn't eat the fruit? Would they have had children? We would have all just grown up in paradise? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same, again, it's the same utopian idea that we have of heaven. And this was God's, he created men and women in, our, in his image. He wanted fellowship and relationship with them. And he gave them a beautiful place to live. And God is not the author of pain and sin and rape and murder. He, he doesn't want that. He never wanted uh, yeah, I know, I know that God does not want that to happen. I understand that. Yeah, so, so the fall, bringing sin and death into the world, could not have been his idea, his plan. His plan okay. was a utopian idea for people to love and, and get along and, and live with him as their guide. So that's what and, would have happened. And they could have procreated. Yeah, so if that would have happened, there would be no Jesus Christ then, right? If that would have happened, there would have been no Jesus Christ, yeah. But God, who knew all things from the foundation of the world, knew that it would happen. But okay, he, did, you, he did not want it to happen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So, mm -hmm. um, and then you said that, why would, right then you said this is the biggest flaw in Mormon, like, contradiction to Adam and Eve, and that Satan, why would he 
do that. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Why would he tempt them to fall if he knew that was God's plan? Right. Uh, you're assuming that Satan knew God. Well, he knows how he thinks. He knows all God's plans. God knows everything. How, why would Satan know that? Well, Maybe David, have you been? David, have you been through the LDS Temple? No. Okay. Well, if you go through there, uh, God comes to Satan in the Garden of Eden in the film, and he says to Satan, "What are you doing?" And Satan says, "That which I've done in other worlds." So Satan was fully aware, according to the Mormon Temple, what he was doing and why. So, you know, it, it absolutely is a huge fissure in the idea of the Mormons' uh, concept of the fall and Adam and Eve and doing what they did. Okay. Hey, man, thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks for the answers, man. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Junior in Vancouver, Washington. Junior, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hello. Uh, I was just calling to uh, let you in on an experience I encountered this last week. Okay. Over the last several weeks, you had been talking about um, how you truly feel that um, racism is in the hearts of anybody uh, 35 to 40 or older. Probably, yeah. Yeah, well, I experienced that this last week with my uh, mother-in-law, who is LDS. Um, she was trying to justify my wife's reasoning for being able to make her own decisions, which, don't get me wrong, I'm not sexist by any ways, I believe she can. But it was her justification for it that kind of made me wonder, and it just completely made me think back to your prior episodes. Huh. Her justification for my wife being able to make her own decisions were she was at least 21, white, and American. <laughs> Classic! <laughs> Classic! <laughs> so, Unbelievable! I mean, I heard her say it, and I turned around, and I'm like, holy crap. I, he's right. I mean, I, I, I mean, I talk to missionaries all the time, you know, but I, I'd never experienced anything like that until she, I, I, I was dumbfounded. That's awesome. That is so, awesome. Great call, Jr. Thanks for the insight. You bet. Okay, God bless. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. We got an email uh, uh, that asked me, and it's a really, it's really a good question. This person has watched most of the shows. And he says, I hear you talk a lot about this and this and this, but I never hear you talk about repentance. How come I don't hear you talk about repentance? And he's right. I very rarely bring up that word. And there is a, there's a reason for it. When you're LDS, repentance, it prefaces everything. In fact, there's an acronym, R-SCARF, that delineates what repentance is as a Mormon. R, you uh, recognize you've sinned. S, you feel sorrow for having sinned. C, you confess your sin to God and to your local ecclesiastical leader if it's bad enough. Uh, A, scarf, uh, you ask forgiveness from a person that you've sinned against. R, you make restitution of the thing that you did. If you stole the candy, you go and pay for it. And finally, F in the R scarf is you forsake the sin forever. And if you haven't done every one of those R-scarf things, you haven't repented, okay? I don't talk about repentance on this show because what I'm trying to do is to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. Repentance does not preface a coming to know Jesus. If repentance was required to get you prepared to receive Jesus, you wouldn't need Jesus at all in the first place. 
you would just go through the steps of our scarf. It's when you come to realize Jesus and he moves in you by virtue of the Holy Spirit that you have the ability to repent of sin. The second reason I don't talk about repentance here, but I believe in repentance, is that from a Christian perspective, and this is going to really push some of you, you repent for your lack of faith and love. You repent for lacking, for taking your eye off the cross, off your life in Christ, off him as your redeemer, not for specific sin. And this is, I know it's going to trouble even some Christians out there. But the repentance is not about, well, you know, I failed today and I got mad. It's, Jesus, I'm sorry for not letting you be my Lord and King. The reason is, is because sin was taken care of past, present, and future 2,000 years ago. You were forgiven at the cross by believing on Christ for those sins. You are not going through this Old Testament type of repentance that John the Baptist preached to repent of your sins and turn from that. You're, you're trying to turn from those sins and actions by letting God and Jesus in you work through you. And so it's a good uh, astute insight into the show as to why I don't talk about repentance because I think it's misunderstood greatly. And our purpose is to first lead people to Christ and let him work within them to repent of their sin by him being their example. Okay, we have on the screen, Wanda wants to know what she should do with her temple clothes after she leaves the church. Throw them away. Yeah, throw them away. Yeah, I don't think they serve any purpose. I wouldn't desecrate them or, or wear them to a Halloween party or something, but I'd just throw them away and forget it. They'll tell you to go through some rituals of cutting things out and burning them in a secret place and then, and then taking the garments and destroying them so no one can see what they are. Don't even do that. Just throw them away. No one really cares. All right, we're going to Carol and Holiday on line one. Carol, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Carol. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. You have to turn your TV down. Oh, okay. Thank you. <clears throat> you're on the air, Carol. Okay. Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. It's a little delay here. Okay. Uh, I'm just watching you finally uh, speak about the good Lord, and it's kind of uh, a good thing to hear. About what? Uh, you're... you're voice and your comments about repentance. Oh, good. Yeah. And the the thing that I thought was interesting and why I called was I heard a lot of things that you said about Mormons. Yeah. And I listened and I listened and everything that I heard was you taking um the things that they use as their rules, but nothing about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I thought, well, what would he talk about if he didn't uh, bash or whatever you call your doing um, the Mormons? What would I talk about? I talk about the Bible. I could talk for, for days on end about the Bible. Okay, well, see, that's not what I heard, I, and that's why I'm saying I, I was glad to hear that you speak of repentance. And are you, are you LDS? I, I'm coming from a good Southern Baptist uh, background. Okay, thing. I I think Just that. Hello. You know what? Uh, I know, and I don't talk about repentance, my good Southern Baptist friend Carol. 
because um, I don't believe repentance prefaces coming to know Jesus. I believe brokenness, uh, not turning from sin, but brokenness. A lot of people say, you got to turn from your sin. You got to turn from your sin in order to come to know Jesus. Turn! And I say, you come to Jesus as you are. And he takes you as you are in your sinful condition. And he shows who, you, who he is. And then you say, my goodness, I, I want to repent. So I don't put the repentance before who Jesus is. That's why I go about it that way, Carol. Well, and, and that's fine. What, what my question was, was what would, if you want to call this a religious platform, would you have if you didn't compare what you preach about to the contradictions of the Mormons? I, I wouldn't have a show. This whole show is about comparing and contrasting Mormonism with biblical Christianity. Okay, and then, see, that's what I didn't understand. Why your time was spent doing that rather than preach about the good Lord, because, Jesus Christ. His, well, a couple reasons, his, Car his, Carol. His, let me give you a couple reasons. First, I was, I was LDS 40 years. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, I was, I was LDS 40 years. I came out of Mormonism because the Lord changed my life. And it was a call on my life to preach about the differences between Mormonism and true Christianity. Second, my whole family and friends are all LDS and I want to know them the truth. Third, we're in Utah, the Mecca of Mormonism, where a majority of our viewers secretly watch in their home the difference between Mormonism and Christianity. They don't really know the difference. And if they're LDS, they think we're Christian. How could we not be Christian? Well, we show them the difference. Do you understand why we have a show that does this now? Well, um, maybe... You are a Baptist, aren't you? Uh, yeah, maybe what, what I'm saying. I, I have a personal experience with my sister. She smoked for years. Okay? God forbid. Yeah, God forbid. <laughs> she decided that because of a, a sermon that our press, pastor preached to her. Uh -huh. Now, uh, I don't know if you know too much about the Baptists, but we're saved by grace. Mm -hmm. Okay. She decided that the cigarettes were harmful to her okay. because of the message she got from our pastor about Jesus Christ. Okay. So she went home, she prayed about it, and, and her answer came that she was not going to smoke another day. Okay. To hear her speak after she had spoke of cigarettes, the enjoyment that she had had, yeah. her words were, I have repented of those cigarettes. By the grace of Jesus Christ, I am never smoking again. That's wonderful. And Car she didn't. Carol, that's a beautiful story. I really appreciate it. Thanks for watching. And maybe if you keep watching, you'll see kind of what we do. And maybe you'll hear about the fruit that we're able to experience by, by our method. Hey, I tell you, if you don't have a church in, in Utah or in California, wherever you are, go to a good Southern Baptist Convention church. I will. And let I will you, run. Let them tell you about Jesus. The other direction. Okay. All right. Hallelujah. You, you take care. Thanks, Carol. I'm going to get so much heat from the Baptists. Listen, I love you, Baptists. Carol was a perfect Baptist. It takes all kinds. There's people who need liturgy. There's people who need all, all these different ways. And our method is just another one. So don't, my humor is for TV. I love the Baptists. All right, let's get that out. 
Uh, let's go to Timothy in Arkansas. Timothy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Timothy. How you doing? Hey, man. I'm watching the program. You what? I'm watching the Sean. That's me. Sean. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, everybody, say hi. Yeah. Yeehaw. Hallelujah. Timothy, I can't, I can't hear you too well. You're screaming in the, in the receiver. I'm sorry, brother. How's this, Sean? That's good, man. Right on, Sean. Hey, God speak to you. And uh, we was watching about Carol. It sounded like you said, I don't know what you're saying, man. I said, uh, we was watching Carol. Oh, Carol, yeah. Yeah. How'd you like her? Hey, man, Brother Sean, <laughs> brother, let me just uh, tell you something. You're talking to a Mormon, a father of uh, nine children now. I was uh, raised in uh, the Mormon church to the age that I was 40, just like you, Sean. Everything you say, brother, I can testify you and I are scholars of the Mormon doctrine, and I can—I uh, couldn't wait for this new year. Me either. We've been watching you for three years. Have you? Yes, sir. And uh, I don't believe it. Just to say that uh, God is so good. Yes, He is good. Timothy, you know, watched, Timothy, uh, we're going to go on to other calls. Timothy, sir? we're going to go to other calls. Do you have a question or comment? Quickly. Yes, sir, I do have a comment or question. Okay, go for it. Sean, uh, this year, it is about the Spirit of God. It is about the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Bible, the King James Version. And uh, I've watched your other programs. I've seen uh, that Mormons disagree with... Yeah how the doctrine is. Yep. But I just want to say that everybody listening out there, from my mother who lives in Salt Lake, uh, seven other brothers and sisters that live in Salt Lake, that yes, it's the freedom in Jesus Christ and freedom in Him and Him alone. And that's what Barbara forgot to forget. Whatever, Southern Baptist, it ain't about religion. It's about coming to the Word of God. Amen. I Excellent, you, Timothy. Son. Thank you so much. I love you so much, brother. Love God you too. Speed. Have a happy new year. Same to you. Godspeed, brother. Bye-bye. You know, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought maybe it was a prank because we get pranks, but I may have been wrong, Timothy, if you're... You sound like at the end you're legit, and praise God, I, I love your spirit. On we go. Uh, we're going to go to Jake in West Jordan, first-time caller. Jake, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, ma'am. You're on the air. Yes, sir. I had a question. Well, basically, this is a quote from Orison Pratt, um, quote, yes. Mormon apostle, unquote. Uh, all other churches are entirely destitute of all the authority from God. And any person who receives baptism of the Lord's Supper from their hands highly offend God. 
he looks upon them as the most corrupt of all people. These are Christians he's talking about. Then yep. Herbert T. Kimball also stuck his foot in his mouth, and he said, he's the first counselor to Brigham Young. Christians? Those poor, miserable priests. Brother Brigham was speaking about, some of them are the biggest whoremasters there on the, on the earth. And that's in the Journal of Discourse at 539. And then, wow. Yeah, it is wild. They have attacked Christianity forever. And now uh, when people step up and speak against them, they're, we're anti-Mormons. And you want to know what I am? I am not an anti-Mormon. I am... And I'm not either. And it's just, it's just frustrating to, you know, and, and I, you know, you got people, you know, like, you know, like the pastor in, uh, in, in Colorado that committed adultery, but he openly confessed his sin. And I just think that's the lack of repentance on all of our parts, not just, not just in Christianity, but in Catholic, you know, um, once we acknowledge our sins and confess them before God, who knows what he could do. You know, I know, the Jake. Almighty is who he is. Hey, and great call, Jake. Thanks so much. And God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Yeah, they threw the, they threw the law down on the, on the Christians first. And, uh, and so we're just kind of coming back and saying, hey, you're not part of it. I am not an anti-Mormon. I am an anti-Occident. And I am keeping cancer from growing in the body of Christ. How do you like that one? I came up with that one today. Woo! All right, we're going with Mark in Clearfield, first-time caller. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, I'm just calling about something you said like two years ago during your Mountain Meadows Massacre Show. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, apparently uh, Brigham Young drove around in a carriage that was uh, that was loot from the massacre until he died. Yeah. Well, um, I've been a- unable to uh, verify that information, and as a matter of fact, I found something that contradicts it. Huh. Um, yeah, uh, my dad wrote a book that says that Brigham Young had his carriage made back east, and he didn't drive it around until the day he died. As a matter of fact, uh, it was auctioned off as part of a court order for alimony payment a year before his death. That makes sense. Yeah, so I was, I was wondering if you, ha- if you could tell me where I could find that information on uh, where he got his carriage. When I did the Mountain Meadows, I referred to Will Bagley's book mostly. And he's uh, LDS, or he was when he wrote the book. And uh, anything I took or said on the show came from Will Bagley's book, uh, Mountain Meadows, I think, I can't remember the name of it, but something like that. Will Bagley, look it up. You'll find the quotes about Brigham Young's carriage. And it was considered rumor uh, at the time. I don't think I emphatically said he did this. I think it was said, it it was rumored that he had uh, some of the bounty taken from uh, Mountain Meadows and used it personally, but you can check it out in that book. All right, yeah, I'll do that then. All right, Mark, thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks. Okay, bye bye. We're going to Margo, uh, first time caller in Salt Lake City. Margo, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, is this Sean? This is. Hi, Sean. I uh, heard you use a phrase in the last program. Um, referring to the imputation of blood. Yeah. And I would like you to discuss that a little bit more, especially it's, comparing it to the LDS understanding of atonement 
And then um, also, how does all of that discussion, the imputation of blood and what I think that means, relate to the eternal process of the Holy Spirit um, growing us, so to speak? Very good question. Okay. About, I'm going to hang up. Okay, Margo, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. She's saying imputation of blood. What she means is the uh, imputed righteousness. The question was asked, why do the LDS always call what Jesus did the atonement? And I explained that the atonement's an Old Testament word, and it means a covering for sin, the shedding of blood to, to pay for sin. And that the LDS used that word because they believe that Jesus died and his shed blood will pay for the sins that you commit so long as you repent. Our scarf, all of them. Okay? So that's their view. The difference between the LDS's idea of, of atonement and, G, and Christians saying Jesus' blood saves me and they don't just, the Christians don't use that word atonement is because the LDS reject the Christian teaching, which is biblical, that Jesus' righteousness is also imputed into a believer so that if they were to die at the moment of receiving him and then dying, they are both cleansed of their sin and made righteous before God. That way they're not just a, a, a blank slate, oh, you have no sin, but you also don't have anything good about you either. They would be uh, a blank sin, a slate from sin, but also imputed with the righteousness of Christ. That is the Christian thought on what happens when you are saved by grace through faith on Jesus Christ. Cleanse of sin, imputed righteousness. Now, her question was, what happens in um, the Holy Spirit sanctifying a Christian's life? Absolutely true. If God, the thief on the cross would be a good example of someone who was cleansed of sin and had imputed righteousness, okay? Now, if God allows you to then live a life, you are going to progress and go from being a babe in Christ to a teen in Christ to a mature Christian. And you're going to mature by virtue of the Holy Spirit working on you. That sanctification process is for your life here on earth so that the fruits you bear will produce more and more and more under the hand and will of God by abiding, being tapped in, into the vine. But the imputation of Jesus' righteousness is uh, tied to the salvation experience. So we are both justified and sanctified by Jesus' blood completely. But if we're allowed to tarry, we are then, while in the flesh, sanctified processionally by uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives as we acquiesce to it uh, versus living by our own will. I hope that helps answers your question. Next week, tune in. We're going to continue on with the A's in our topic. And I think it's either apostasy or apostles, whichever one comes first. See you next week here in Heart of the Matter. Break my rusty cage.